Let's open our Bibles, Philippians chapter 3. Last time we talked about pressing on, and you know what? The future is bright. And we've got to press on towards the future because that's where we're going. And keep going. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived yet. We haven't, we haven't made perfection yet. At least I know I haven't, and I don't think anybody else that I know has. But he says to press on, keep going, and to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. And number one is to know him and to know him deeper and in a more real and uh, personal way in your life. And that's just part of, uh, of eternal life is knowing him. And uh, we can all know him. He's made it simple for us to know him. All we have to do is, is ask and he makes himself known to us and we begin a relationship, a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And secondly, that which he's taken a hold of us for, his purposes in, in our lives. We talked about that last time that, you know, to find out what it is, to discover it and to find it. It might be a little something just that, that only you can do. You know, there's a lot of different needs around uh, in our fellowship. And maybe you can, you see one, you go, wow, there's nobody doing that, you know. We'd like to have, um, you know, monthly, uh, like, lunches after church, you know, and, and kind of like potluck, that kind of thing. We'd like to do that once a month, but, but really, I, you know, I can't organize these things. I'm not real good at that. So maybe there's somebody who wants to take that on. That's just one example of, of, of a particular need. There's people, uh, we need people working with our sound um, team. We need people working with our radio uh, ministry. We need help in lots of different areas. In Sunday school, we always have a need for for helpers and, uh, and that people maybe be trained up to be teachers even. So to find that purpose in your life, God has got a purpose for each one of us. And leave the past behind. It, you know, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Read with me there in verse 13, the middle of verse 13. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, leaving the past behind, the past is the past, whether it was your own sins or our own failures or, or even our successes and triumphs, not to be, you know, like always focusing on what happened in the past. We got to focus on what's ahead. The past is gone. It's done. It's over. Maybe we got some experience out of those things, but the finish line is ahead and heaven is ahead. So press on and pursue until we get to the finish line. I want to talk today about citizenship, <clears throat> our citizenship. And uh, I think most of you are citizens of the United States, as far as I know. Some of you may be from another country. But how many of you have like a passport? Some of you have a passport? You know, <clears throat> this says that I'm a citizen of the United States. It says the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen or national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in any case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. And it's got a pretty funky picture of me in there. Interesting thing about these two, it's got a lot of, uh, of documents from the um, United States, we the people of the United States, in order to form more perfect union, printed in there, and, and then it's uh, 
these, they're all different, but this one says a lot of different of the monuments in, around the country or whatever. But one of the interesting things about these newer passports is, see that little thing in the, I don't know if you can see that little box right there in the middle and the bottom there? You see that? There's like a microchip in there now. And uh, that's kind of interesting. It says in the back, this document contains sensitive electronics for best performance. It's not been perforated or exposed to extreme temperatures. There's a little chip in there. Now, it might get difficult to, you know, if you lose these, you know. So they might want to just install those somewhere else. I just want to warn you ahead of time. Like, maybe on the hand might be a good place, or the forehead might be easier. Just go through the scanner. Don't need to carry the paper. You don't lose your credit cards, your money, or anything else. If I can sell you that. I got a bridge I can sell you, too. My son, <clears throat> one of my sons was born uh, in England when we lived there. And uh, he has paperwork. He was not a citizen of England. He, he was what they call a citizen born abroad, and meaning that he is a citizen of the United States of America, but he was born somewhere else. He was born in another country, and that's the, the designation. So, but he has all the rights and all the uh, uh, things that a citizen of the United States would have. Paul here in this passage talks about us having citizenship in a different place, though. Our citizenship is in heaven, is what Paul's talking about. And that's what I want to think about today. We have been adopted. We've changed our citizenship. Yeah, we still have these that we carry around, or we're supposed to if we're in another country. But really, we've been born again of heaven, and we have a new citizenship. Let's, let's start here, because there's a couple of interesting ideas in this idea of citizenship, and this idea of being a citizen. Look in verse 17, <clears throat> says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again with tears, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so, they, so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He starts off in this passage, interesting enough, talking about example, about being an example. He says, join with others in following my example. Paul says that. Paul the Apostle says that. Now you say, well, he's an apostle. He could say things like that, but he was a human being, and we've seen it in this passage. He's very real in this book. He's very real. And he's, he's just said, uh, you know, that I haven't gotten there. I haven't attained. I haven't, I haven't made it. I'm not perfect yet, I'm, but I'm pressing ahead. But he says, follow my example. There's something, and this ties in with this idea of being a citizen of heaven. What kind of, a, what do people see? What kind of example? Now, true leadership, I think, is, is this idea to follow my example and, and to really understand that. The question is, can we say that? Some leaders say, do as I say, 
not as I do. And that, and that, what is that, what is that, you know, how do we deal with that? We usually get kind of upset about it because it's a hip, hypocrisy, right? Saying one thing and doing another. But to be consistent with uh, who you are as a citizen of heaven, as a leader in the, in the church, and as a believer is very, very important. Paul, as I said, he hadn't arrived yet, but he was pressing on, and he was pressing forward to live and to do the right thing. And he says, imitate that. Follow that example. I, you know, I haven't got there. Follow the example of, of his humility saying, listen, I haven't, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm heading forward. And that's worth imitating. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says it a couple of times to the Corinthians in, in the first letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse uh, 16. He says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my what? My way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See the consistency. He, what, how he lived matched up with what he taught. And that's kind of a, a, you know, a, a thing that, that, you know, how do you know if someone is you know, doing the right thing, teaching the right thing? Well, do, do their, does their teaching match up with the way they live? No, they're not perfect. You can't put someone on a perfect pedestal, but there should be some consistency, right? And that's what Paul is, is pointing out here. Again, he's not saying, listen, I'm so cool, you need to follow my example. But he's saying, listen, God has put me in this place, and, you need, and, and, and I, you know, I'm going to live the best I can following Jesus and, and, and to be a good example that you might be able to follow. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Turn ahead to uh, that chapter. He says it again, but he adds something else there that's very interesting. Uh, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> he says, follow my example. How? As I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example. Not just because of me, he says, but as I follow the example of Christ. As I follow after Jesus, that's worth being an example of. As I do my best to follow, as he's talking in there uh, in Philippians about about uh, you know the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and following after Him, and I'm I'm pressing on, and I'm I want to do everything, I want to be everything that He's called me and put His hand on me for, and I and it's a and it's an example worth following after. It's not wrong for Him to say these things. The truth is, the truth is that you and I, and you've heard this expression before, are the only Bible that some people will ever read. What, what do they see? Do they see Jesus? He said back there in Philippians that, you know, take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Look around and see. He says, take note of those who live that according to the pattern, according to the example, according to what's been taught. Because people are watching. People are always watching. One more passage, and I think this kind of uh, ties it together. Look in verse First uh, Timothy, chapter four. First Timothy, chapter four. So that's ahead, about five books or so. 
First Timothy chapter four, Paul tells Timothy verse 12, and this really sums up this, uh, this thought that Paul's giving to us. He says, "Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Set an example for the believers. What does a believer look like?" He says. To Timothy, he says, set an example for what the life of a believer should look like. But look at these categories. He says, in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, look at our own lives and in every part of those. What what is our speech like? Is it is is it kind of salty? Is the stuff pour out of our mouths? And whether it's whether it's language we shouldn't you know, that doesn't reflect Christ, or is it just, you know, off-color stuff, or is it, is it uh, you know, uh, and some of us have this uh, uh, problem uh, of being kind of cynical or uh, making jokes that are kind of, you know, um, you know, making fun of people and, and, and kind of hoping they understand. I, I caught myself doing that this morning. And you know what? We got to be careful what kind of stuff comes out of our mouths. What about our, our lives? What are, our, what are our lives like? What's the, the whole picture of our life? Is it, a, is it an example of a believer? Can someone look at us and say, well, there's a, that, that person, that guy's a believer. He's a, a believer in Jesus, in love. I mean, that that's, uh, pretty much says it all right there in faith and in purity. Set an example because people are watching. People are watching. One man said this, Paul faces up to the fact that he is an example. And he shoulders the responsibility of such a position. While we, behind a false modesty, often try to evade the fact that whether we like it or not, someone is imitating us. Actually, we have no choice between being an example and not being one. We can only choose between being a good example and being a bad one. Look to God for grace to be the kind of example that others may well follow. In other words, we're an example no matter what. Whether we're trying to be or not, the question is, are we being an example of a believer or are we being an example of something else, some, an unbeliever? So let's turn back to Philippians. <clears throat> he says, follow my example. Note those who live according to the pattern. Look around and see. Now in verse 18, there's some that he says, don't imitate. Don't follow after these examples. He says, verse 18, For as I have told you often before, and now see, say even again, I get my words all mixed up here today. For as, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Interesting, when I was reading about this and studying and reading some commentaries about this, you know, who is he talking about here? Some say, well, he's just talking about unbelievers, those that are, are, are total unbelievers. But um, <clears throat> some pointed out, too, that he could very as well be talking about those who professed to believe but didn't live according to that pattern. 
I think both are probably true, in a sense, in a way. Those that, that are unbelievers, and you know, and you can read this and see, you know, he's weeping about those who would profess to be, to believe and yet live differently. And, and, but I think Paul had a heart for the lost as well, weeping over those who, who hate the cross, who those who, who are unbelievers. I think both. Those who hate the cross, those who are, are unbelieving. You know, this whole thing in our country, which is uh, pretty big, and you see, that, you see that picture. How many of you know what that is? <clears throat> That's over in Woonsocket, happening here now. Take down the cross. Take down the cross. Fox News said that a national atheist organization, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, is demanding that a Rhode Island city remove a cross from a 91-year-old memorial honoring hometown soldiers who paid the ultimate sacrifice for the country. The mayor, his first response was he will not remove the cross under any circumstances, but one of the councilors, the city councilor in Woonsocket, told Fox News that it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight the group in court and the city is currently facing the possibility of bankruptcy and does not necessarily have the money to fight this battle. So, you know, the money thing is, is part of it now. Well, we, we, we like the cross. We don't want to take it down. We don't even feel that it's right. But we don't have the money to fight that battle. So what's going to happen? We don't know how this one's going to play out yet. Uh, they may move it to somewhere else, a private property or whatever. But it's sad that they even have to think about doing something like that. It's in front of a fire, the firehouse there in, in Woonsocket. You can see the fire engine in the bottom there. It's happening all across the country, people who hate the cross. And, and really, you know, it's a freedom from, for freedom from religion foundation. You know, they, they don't even, they're not even here. It wasn't even one of the, they have a few members here in our area, but it wasn't even one of the local members who complained. It was somebody from somewhere else. Well, you don't even live here. And it's bothering you to know you know, how far is it going to go? Well, pretty soon we won't be able to have crosses in the, the, the front of our church because it might offend somebody. Well, it does offend somebody. The, the cross is offensive to those who are rebel, in rebellion against Jesus Christ and what he came to do and, and who he is. It's happening all across the country uh, in San Diego. We've talked about this before, Mount Soledad. The cross there, I grew up in San Diego and I, I drove by it. I, I, I drive up there frequently when I'm back home and I go up and, you know, they've been fighting a battle over that for years. But I read this, that there's, some, there's a group called the Liberty Institute, a, a nonprofit Christian conservative legal group who is filing an appeal that uh, the 2011 ruling that found the cross to be unconstitutional. And on March 14th of this year, it says the U.S. Solicitor General joined the appeal, making it more likely the Supreme Court will hear the case, which hopefully is going to be a good thing <clears throat> with some of the ways they've ruled recently. But it's going to get all the way to the Supreme Court. Somebody doesn't want to see a cross, so... Paul said, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Not just because they hate the cross, but because of their lifestyle, because of the way they turn away from that. That's one, those that are total unbelievers, but what about those who profess to be believers yet live 
as enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm not sure what's worse, to be honest with you. Which one's worse? I'm not sure. Either way, Paul's weeping over the whole situation, over those rejecting Jesus Christ. And look at verse 19. We, we see what does it say? It says their destiny is destruction. Re, you know, rebelling and fighting and rejecting the cross of Jesus Christ is a, is a serious, what you might want to call dead end, right? He says the, the destiny of that, the, the, the end of that is destruction. The Strong's uh, Concordance Dictionary uh, defines that word destruction as ruin, loss, physically, spiritually, eternally. Physically, spiritually, eternally, ruin and loss. Their destiny is destruction. To reject Jesus Christ, this is, this is not my words, this is the Bible, this is what the Bible teaches. There is one way to receive eternal life is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no other avenue. There's not many ways to heaven, to God. There's only one. Read Psalm 20, uh, 73. The writer there, he's kind of like looking around and he's, he's seeing what you know, those unbelievers and the, the wicked are doing. It seems to be going so well for them. Everything is so good. They, have, you know, they, have, they don't have any problems. They've got all the money they could ever need. They have all the stuff. They have everything's going so well for them. But later in that psalm, it says, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. His eyes were open when he entered into the sanctuary of God. Their final destiny, and what Paul is saying here, is destruction. It's a very sad thing, and this is one of the reasons why Paul is weeping, because he knew, he understood what the destiny was, destruction. He says their God is their stomach. i got to stop on that one. You know, food, anything for a good meal. You know, uh, it's donut day. I mean, you know. We, you know, have a potluck. Let's, you know, I'm talking about food, uh, you know, five different times already, you know, and I love, I, it's just great. And we're so excited. And, and we remember, you go places and you remember what they fed you because it was so good. And you remember these different things. That's all great. But, but what about the Holy Spirit in our lives? What about God in our lives? It's not just about food, though, is it? It's about about our own appetites, as one commentator said. Self-centeredness, our appetites and desires come first. He says their God is their stomach. In other words, this is what you worship. This is what is most important. This is what at the very heart of your being. That I could have a show and show you how to cook those meals. My whole, that's my whole, the heart of my life. Not that those are bad. I watch them sometimes. They make me hungry. But, it's, but it's, it's this idea of, of what, what satisfies. A great meal is great, but ultimately it's not going to satisfy in the long run, is it? Donuts last for like five minutes, and then you've got to do something else. He says their glory is in their shame. 
The Bible Knowledge Commentary says they pride themselves in things they should have been ashamed of. And that is a hallmark of our society today. Priding themselves in things they should have been ashamed of. We are, you know, quote unquote, we are so tolerant. And isn't it incredible how tolerant that we are? That we tolerate all this and that and this kind of behavior and that kind of behavior that God's word clearly says is wrong. But what's interesting about this is though they can be tolerant everything else, but when it comes to the cross sitting up on a hill somewhere, oh, we can't have that. No, no. We can tolerate everything, but we can't tolerate that. He says their mind is on earthly things, on the stuff. Things, food, clothing, prestige, power, comfort, pleasure, all these things. Paul said in Romans that those who live according to the sinful nature or the flesh have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And then he says this, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. See, we're focused on those things that Paul's talking about here. You know, in the end, the, the end is, is destruction. It's death. It's separation from God forever, for eternity. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. It just sounds, that even sounds good to me. It makes me want more of that. It makes me want to be more controlled by the Spirit of God than by the flesh and by the, this body that we live in. Solomon, David's son, King Solomon, he experimented with all these things. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a fascinating uh, book to read. You can read it in about a half an hour or maybe an hour at the most. But you read this book and you see the progression that Solomon, he experimented with all these things. He, he wanted, you know, even though he you know, was raised by David, who was a you know, man after God's own heart, he still, he, he experimented with everything that the world had to offer. All of it. But in the end, he says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And then his final statement is this. He says, now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Be in relationship with God and do, do, it, do it his way. Do, his, do what he wants. That's what it's all about in the end. It's not about all the, the things this world has to offer. Verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. You know, it's not on earth, you know, <clears throat> as believers, as true believers, not just professed believers. There's a difference between those who just profess to believe but are not truly believers and those who are truly believers. And God, ultimately, God is the only one who knows. But we live here, but we don't belong here. And Jesus talked about that, didn't he? He said, you know, they, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. To be in this world as a citizen of heaven, he says, Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. There's something different about us as true believers who have been born again by the Spirit 
of God. You know, again, this is the whole idea. If you're a citizen, you should be acting like a citizen. We should live as citizens. Let's turn to a couple other passages. How about Hebrews chapter 11? That's ahead. Again, another four or five books. Hebrews chapter 11 in what they call the Hall of Faith. Different men and women who were who had faith in God. But verse 13 through 16, he says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Aliens. Well, I don't want to be considered an alien. I don't want, you know, people think of me like a Jesus freak. Strange. Well, but is that what you are? Are you an alien and strange? Is your citizenship in heaven or is it here? People, he says, verse 14, who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We're citizens of heaven, but we happen to be living here on earth, but we're longing to be home. We're longing to be where he's preparing a city, he's preparing a place, he's preparing that beautiful uh, mansion, as some translations say. I don't care what it's going to be. It's just going to be being there with him is the ultimate. How about Colossians chapter 3, the book right after Philippians? Colossians chapter 3, first couple of verses there. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your hearts and set your minds, he says, on things above, not on things of the earth. You have a passport from heaven. You're here kind of like as an alien, kind of on loan, so to speak. Interesting thing, when when you think about the city of Philippi, and Warren Wiersbe points this out, that, that Philippi was a colony of Rome. But it was not in Rome, it was in Macedonia, the area where, they, where the city of Philippi was. But it was a colony of Rome, and so they had all the rights and all the privileges of citizens of Rome, you see. But they were a colony of Rome, but they weren't at Rome. They lived in Philippi. And someone else said this, the local church should be like a colony of heaven. Heavenly laws and heavenly manners should mark its members as different from others about them. We're citizens of heaven, but we're we're like a little colony of heaven on earth. But we have all the rights and and privileges and responsibilities of, of citizens of heaven. But he says there in that verse back in Philippians, he says, We eagerly await a Savior from there. From where? 
from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to change us, who has the power to transform us, that hope that we have. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I can't even, I have to stop myself from thinking about what's going on in the world and how, how dark it is sometimes I have to, because it's, it's, it's just so overwhelming. And, and I just say, Lord, come quickly. Because how much of this can, can, can we humanly take as believers? How much of this can you take, uh, God, and, 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 and people shaking their fists at you? Lord, come quickly. You know, there certainly is a stress of living in a foreign country. How many of you ever lived in a foreign country, like for more than a week, like for a month? or It's kind of stressful, right? It can be very stressful. You're, you're, you're really you're a citizen of another country, but there you are in this foreign country, and, and you're trying to just survive and make it and do the right thing. You know, we lived in England for three years, and I can still remember this. I remember a, a bunch of things, uh, but I remember one time we, were, we didn't have a car yet, and we needed to go somewhere on the bus, right? So we had our kids there, and... And we're, sit, we're sitting on the bus stop, right? We're sitting at the bus stop. And the bus went by. But it was going the other way. And we're sitting there going like, well, it's because the, they drive on the other side of the street. We were on the wrong side of the street. And, and, and you know, we, in the end, we laughed about it. At the time, we, we kind of like waved like, you're forgetting us. Because we, we didn't know, we, you know, it, it, didn't, it wasn't working for us. You'd be very careful. You could step out. You always had, I always had to be careful when I, when I was driving to, you know, to make sure I looked the other way than what I would normally look. Because, uh, you know, I had a couple of close calls where you, you, know, you look the wrong way. And you, then you pull out or you step out. It's even worse when you're walking because, you know, when you're driving, you're thinking a little bit more about it. When you're walking, you don't even... You, you're not thinking that much about it. It's kind of stressful. I remember um, in, that, in that same neighborhood, um, it was kind of strange. The, there were some trees out in front of our house, and they were dropping these things, and we bought this car, right, and it was like white mistake, at least in that neighborhood. And it was dropping these things on my car, right, on our car, and and making these stands, so I thought, well, I'll just park across the street. It's just a big, wide street, right? I'll, par- I'll park across the street. And the neighbors, they started yelling at us. Go home, they said. Go home, you Americans. They opened their windows yelling at us. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't realize, you know, you owned the street in front of your house. <laughs> Interesting thing is that the tree in front of our house got some disease and they had to come cut it down (laughs) it can be stressful living in a foreign country but we need to understand we need to be representing who we are sometimes it's not so good when Americans go to other countries and they say the ugly American syndrome you know they're they're just you know snobbish and and selfish and self-centered and loud you know it's like you face that, you know, and it's not a good representation of, of Americans in other countries. 
but are we representing our Savior? He says we eagerly, we eagerly in the meanwhile, we, we eagerly await our Savior from home. And, and you know, um, one man pointed this out, that the greatest event for any colony of Rome, which Philippi was, was a, vi- was a visit from the emperor. That if the emperor would come to that colony, that's like, wow. All the preparations were made. Everything, you know, they were excited about. They would actually make coins to commemorate the visit. But for you and I, we're waiting eagerly for the return of our Savior Jesus. Paul says, I tell you a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and imperishable, we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. We've got a Savior. He's coming. He's going to return for us. But He's going to change us, as Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3. So, that's the challenge for you and I. Live as citizens of heaven. Live as citizens of heaven. Earlier, let's close with a look back in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27. <clears throat> we talked about it there as well. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Literally, live as a citizen. Whatever happens, live as a citizen. We follow good examples, and we need to be a good example. Set an example, Paul said there in 1 Timothy 4.12. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want to be a good example. We're not going to be perfect examples, but we need to strive to be the very best we can be, right? Because people are watching. Your kids, your coworkers, your teachers, your students, whatever it might be. Your family, your wife, your husband. Watch him like, man, this guy talks about being something, but he's not acting like it. Amen? Let's pray, shall we?